have your Bibles with you, would you do me a favor? Uh, we're going we're gonna to open our Bibles to uh, five different or three different chapters, all in the fifth chapter. And I'm going to give you three places to turn to so that when we get there a little later, if you would like to follow along, you can. So if you have um, that little insert that's in your Bible for taking notes, maybe tear off a little chunk and put it at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And then maybe take your ribbon, the ribbon that's in your Bible, and put it at Mark chapter 5. And then turn to John chapter 5, because that's the, the main scripture that we're going to be at first. So in reverse order, Galatians, Mark, and then John, all chapter 5. Hey, we're picking back up in this series that we started two weeks ago called Trust the Process. In week one, we talked about the need and the, and, and, and the necessity for us to do a spiritual self-examination of our relationship with the Lord. And then we paused last week for Freedom Sunday, and today we're going to pick back up and we're going to look at uh, part two in this series that's about six weeks, but this message kind of connects with the first message, and this is the second part of the process of self-examination, or how do we examine ourselves spiritually. And in this process of examination, I, I, I want it, I, I really hope that it is encouraging to you and that during this time, you find uh, some better direction on how to deepen your relationship with the Lord. But before we do that, I want to talk to you for a moment about hobbies. How many of you have a hobby? How many of you have multiple hobbies? How many of you have multiple, multiple, multiple hobbies? Just a few of you. So before we moved here to be your pastoral family, I had two hobbies. The first hobby I had was fish keeping. And then the second hobby I had is model railroading. Now, the only one I brought with me is model railroading. I left fish keeping behind. In fact, I was so into keeping fish. Do you know what fish, fish keeping is? Fish keeping is more than having a goldfish bowl on the kitchen counter. Fish keeping is more than having just one tank. I had 36 fish tanks. It was really not healthy for me or the fish. I had, I had tanks raging in size from 100 gallons to 210 gallons. And, 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 and before you think I'm completely crazy, um, there, there's a bit of a spiritual calling to being a fish keeper, especially if you're a pastor. Because there's this scripture in Matthew 13, verse 47, that says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake, and, and it caught all kinds of fish. So I was, in Oregon, I was the fish-keeping pastor. I even had a, a logo, and, and, and so I called myself the fish-keeping pastor. FKP Aquatics was my little name. I was going to breed fish and then sell them. And I could converted this space in our basement into a fish room, and it was just crazy. But the problem with fish-keeping is, um, I, and, I, and, I, and I, love, I love the hobby, but the maintenance of 36 fish tanks is pretty crazy. And, and the water usage. And, and essentially, when, when we moved here, 
There was no way I was bringing 36 fish tanks worth of fish 2,600 miles. They would not have enjoyed the U-Haul truck. I guarantee you. And so I liquidated all of my fish stuff, decided I would get out of the fish keeping business and the fish keeping hobby. And the reason why, one of the main reasons why, was because of the maintenance of them. And, and, and essentially when we moved here, I wanted, if I was going to have a hobby, I wanted to have a hobby that if I didn't touch for two or three weeks, if I didn't go down into the basement and check on that hobby in two or three weeks, nothing would be dead when I came back down there to check on them. And so I gave up the, the uh, hobby of fish keeping. And, and it was really all about the maintenance. And maintenance is important, right? I mean, maintaining our bodies is important. Maintaining our vehicles is important. Our homes, being good stewards of what God has blessed us with. Maintenance is, is critical and important. Many of you are fanatical about the maintenance of some of your things in your life. Your cars, your golf clubs. We had a neighbor that literally parked his car on on Persian area rugs in his garage. He was so fanatical about his cars. But we're, we can be fanatical about the maintenance of things. But you know what? We can, also, uh, we can also be very derelict in the maintenance of things. In fact, here's something that I've noticed. I've noticed that the degree that you love something, the degree that you care about something, is directly reflected in the care that you provide for it or over it. Or the amount that you love things or that thing or that hobby or, or whatever it is. The level or degree could also be determined by how easily you let it go. How easily you let it go and fall into disrepair. And that can be true about our spiritual life as well. That can be true about our relationship with the Lord. That can be true about how we interact with him. The more you invest it, the more you maintain it, the deeper you grow, the, the more you grow in your faith. But the more you neglect it, the more you fall away from it. The more in disrepair your spiritual life and your spiritual journey can be based on the effort that you put into it. Now Jesus, in, Matthew, in, Mark, excuse me, in Mark chapter 12, gives us a beautiful scripture as a guide to maintaining our relationship with God. And in this scripture, he also gives us a, a, a guide or, or a little bit of a process of evaluating, doing that self-examination of how we are doing and where we're at with our faith. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now the thing is, with our health, if we are to detect health problems before they become serious, doctors re recommend a routine physical exam. If you're going to detect something that could potentially be going wrong with your car, you need to examine it. If you're going to uh, detect if something in your home or something that you use frequently is going to fail on you, routine checking on that item is important. And that is so very true with our spiritual lives as well. If you never look at it, if you never take a look, if you never self-examine, if you never maintain your faith journey, it will fall into disrepair. We all need 
a periodic spiritual checkup. It's a necessity. So let's use this first scripture in Mark 12. Let's take a closer look at this guide that Jesus gives us of checking our, so that we can check our spiritual wellness. See, this is part of the process of self-examination. So the first thing we see is, is we, say, we see that Jesus says, do, do, he says, love the Lord God with all of your heart. So the first piece of self-examination is, do you love God with all of your heart? And, and, and so many of us may say, well, yes, I, I love God. I, I love God with all of my heart, but do we really? I mean, and here's how you kind of could discover that. Which is stronger, your love for your will or your love for God's will? Do you see that there can be a difference there? Can you see that your will, your desires over things can, can be more than God's will or desires for you? If you want to examine the spiritual condition of your heart, do you love the Lord God with all of your heart? That's really centered in the battle of our own will. See, I think the biggest cause of spiritual sickness, the biggest cause of spiritual apathy and decline is a condition in the heart. When we are divided, our will is more important than God's, or God's will prevails in some things but not in all things. Second, do I love God with all of my soul? How is that different than heart? Well, I think it's, it's different than the heart in this way. Do I listen to God telling me who I am? Do I let God identify me? Do I, do I, do I let God determine my worth and my value? Or do I let others, or do I let my own perspective of who I am determine my worth or my value? I think that's the soul. I think the soul is centered on, on our identity in Christ. Am I moving away from self-centeredness in my life? If I've, if I've been prone in the past to be self-centered, is my spiritual growth leading me away from my self-centered desires and towards God-centered desires? Or do I still think of myself first and foremost? Also, our soul has to do with with things like, uh, am, I being, am I becoming more compassionate? Am I becoming more kind, humble, gentle, and patient? Am, am, I, am I finding myself dealing with situations in a different way than I did before Christ? Third, do I love the Lord God with all of my mind? Do I focus on my relationship with His Son, or do I let my mind wander to wherever it wants to go? Do I, do, do, do I let my mind just lead me and guide me wherever I want? Or is the mind of Christ leading and guiding me? Do my thoughts lead to problems or do they lead to solutions? Do my thoughts lead me to unity or division, forgiveness or revenge? Fourth, do I love God with all of my strength? Now, this is going to seem counterintuitive, but how about this? Am I willing to be seen as weak so that God, so that God can show His strength in me? Am, am I willing to be weak, to, to, to be submissive to God so that He can be strong on my behalf? 
Am I relying on His grace to be strong in the Spirit? See, the, see part of the process of spiritual growth is spiritual health. If we're ever to learn to trust the process of spiritual growth, we have to recognize that we need to be well and healthy spiritually. We need to be spiritually well. But the problem for many of us is we struggle with getting well. Many times it's because we don't want to do anything about what makes us unhealthy. I mean, if you have a, if you have a health concern, I mean, yeah, we're, we're kind of in the middle of football season here in Ohio. Did you notice? Has anybody noticed that? And, and, and I, I officiate high school football. I officiate high school basketball. And um, I'm not doing much football. I was at Midview uh, Friday night for a football game. I don't have anything else. But football for me, refereeing high school football, was to get myself healthy for basketball season because that's the game that I really enjoy. Are you doing things? Do you have things in your life that you're doing that are, prov- that are providing spiritual health or, uh, and, 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 and contributing to your health? Or do you, do you just say, you know what, I'm just going to sit on the couch until the very last minute, and if God has this big journey ahead of me, I'm going to tackle it completely uh, out of shape. See, we struggle at getting well because we don't want to do anything about what makes us unhealthy. That's why we struggle with our eating habits. That's why we struggle with addictions. Because we don't want to do what it takes to find health. And often we refuse to see the obvious spiritual needs in our lives. Sometimes they can be so obvious to us and yet we won't embrace them. There was this one night in my fish-keeping journey my big 210, my, my prized tank. I built, a, I built a, a, pine, a, a stand out of wood by myself. I, first time I'd ever built furniture. It was a really cool piece. And I had this 210-gallon tank. I did, a, I did a water change on this 10-gallon tank. And somehow the pH in the tank, the chemistry of the tank spiked. And, and I started losing fish. And I lost 12 fish in that tank that night. And so I did another quick water change. I stayed up virtually half the night nursing this tank so that I didn't lose any more fish. I was willing to stay up all night long to keep these fish healthy. But so many, and, and you, you'll do the same thing. I mean, you'll spend all night long in the garage in the middle of winter trying to get that car running again for tomorrow. Or you'll do all kinds of stuff to keep, the, but when it comes to spending the time, spending the effort, staying up all night to get your faith right so that your marriage heals, getting your faith right so your children are, are led in the right direction, we won't do that. How many times do we do that? How many times do we invest in stuff and yet we neglect or refuse to do what's necessary in our spiritual journey? Why is that? Well, to help us see that, to help us see the why and, and the what to do about it, I want to share with you a, just a few stories from, the, from Scripture where Jesus interacted with people who needed healing. And we're going to see how they, they responded, how they were open to it. And so if you have your Bible and you, you put a marker in John chapter 5, we're going to jump into John chapter 5 for our first 
story. In this story, we're going to see a vivid picture of somebody needing to recognize the need to get well. John chapter 5, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and here's the key question for all of us today who are desperately seeking spiritual health. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And here's how the man responded. He said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. See, they believed that when the water was stirred, that if you got to the water first, the first one in the water would be healed. But if somebody beat you to it, or you didn't have a way there, if you couldn't make it on your own, the healing wouldn't come. He says, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And how... Do you have anyone in your family? Maybe you've even been in this place in your own life where you, knew, you, you, you know exactly what they need to do to get better. You know exactly what you need to do to get better. And you, you know that you can do something about it. You know that they have the power to do something about it, but they don't because they make an excuse that says, well, I don't have somebody to help me. I don't have somebody to hold my hand through this process. I don't have somebody that can get me there. When the power to heal is really there, for you all along now jesus he says to this man he says now just get up just get up pick up your mat and walk and at once this man was was cured he picked up his mat and he walked away now the first thing that we see here is we have to want to get well you have to want to get well do you know how many people refuse to do what is needed to get well I mean, healing's right in front of them, yet they refuse to receive it. An opportunity to get well presents itself, and they miss it or dismiss it. I want to tell you something. You should never come to church on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night. You should never open your Bible. You should never sit across the table and begin to talk about the Lord and, and have some spiritual ailments, some spiritual infirmity in your life that God isn't prepared to heal you of right then and right there. If you come into church um, nursing your spiritual wounds and you walk back out of these doors nursing those, wind, those wounds and those, those ailments uh, uh, continually, if you do that, you come in with them and you carry them back in, you're missing the point. You're missing what God wants to do. Yeah. Healing is right in front of us. Yet we refuse it. We refuse to receive it. An opportunity will get, uh, to get well presents itself, and we just let it pass by. And here's what Jesus is saying to all of us today. Do you want to get well? Do you want your marriage to get well? Do you want your relationships to get well? 
Do you want to finally find victory over that sin that seems to be holding you back? And if your answer is yes, he's here to heal you. And he's heal, here to heal you right now. Do you notice what he did with this man? He didn't say, well, the next time it's stirred, you just, you just do your best to get there. He said, no, just get up. What are you worried about the water for? Just get up. Now, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders, they said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up your, pick, it, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. But later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, See, you are well again. He sees this man later at the temple and he says, Look, you're healed. You're well again. And he looks at the man and I, I think he, these are these kind of conversations that Jesus has with people where I think his eyes just penetrate our hearts. And he says, You're well now. So stop sinning, because if you don't, something worse may happen to you. See, here's the thing. You don't only have to want to get well. You have to want to stay well. You have to want to stay well. Do you know how many people get on and off the spiritual roller coaster every day of their lives? We got to want to get well, and we need to want to stay well. Now, there's another story in the New Testament where we see another necessity of this process of spiritual health and growth. It's found in Mark chapter 5. Here's how this story goes. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, here's something that's interesting. Wherever Jesus went, he healed people. Wherever he went, people's lives were transformed. And crowds Oh my gosh, the crowds were amazing. They were just huge. And they would press in upon him. But you know what was ironic about these crowds? In and amongst these crowds, there'd be one or two that really wanted to get well, that really wanted to get healed. And then there'd be a bunch of other people that were just along to see the show. And when it was over, they just went home. They just, they missed the opportunity. Don't ever miss the opportunity to be in a group of body of believers and see God moving and saying, hey, I'm here to heal you too, and then go home and not be healed. So he crosses over the other side. This crowd is gathering around him. And then all of a sudden, one of the synagogue leaders, a man named Jairus, he came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. What do we see here? We see this man, Jairus, whose daughter was dying. He does something that we all neglect to do in our own lives. We see him do something that often we don't do. He pursues healing. He chases after healing. He knows that the person that can heal is somewhere, and he says, I'm going to get him. I want you to recognize something. Pursuit is part of the process. Pursuit is a key part of the healing process. See, we must realize that Jesus is the remedy, 
He's what we've been searching for. And all we've got to do is get to him to find that healing. You have to pursue Jesus. And when you do, when you find him, he will heal you. In fact, we see this in in another story that's intertwined with the story that we're reading right now of Jairus and his daughter. Did you know that there's another story in this piece of scripture? This large crowd had followed and pressed in around him. And there was this woman who was there. And she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And she had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if she could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Do you know what we discover in this woman's story that's intertwined? with Jairus, who was willing to pursue healing in his daughter's life by chasing after Jesus, we discovered that persistence is also part of the pursuit. you got to keep after it. This woman had gone everywhere to find healing. She'd gone to every doctor, every homeopath, every vitamin, every mystic doctor, every angle you could think of. She'd spent everything she owned trying to find healing and couldn't find it. But you know what she didn't do? She didn't give up. She heard that this man Jesus was doing miracles and she believed that if she could just get to him and just simply touch the garment he was wearing, she would be healed. And so for all of us who are willing to throw in the towel or give up all hope, this scripture is here to say, keep after it. Keep pursuing. Be persistent in your pursuit. No matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it may seem, no matter what it costs you, and no matter how hopeless the situation may seem, be persistent. In your pursuit. We need to all have that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, if I can just touch him. We all need to have the kind of faith that your marriage could be falling apart on Sunday morning as you're getting ready to leave the house and you fight the entire way here or you dislike each other so much that you take two cars. And if you took two cars here to church this morning, I'm not implying that your marriage is struggling. But you're ready to throw in the towel. It's over and we're going to walk in here we're just going to put a happy face on and we're going to go right back into it. You need, to, you need to get in the car on the way to church and even though you're fighting, even though things are, you need to say, you know what, if we can just get there and if we can just, just touch the, the hem of his garment, he'll heal our marriage. There's nothing that God can't overcome. And here's the beauty. The beauty of this, Jesus senses our struggles and our difficulties. He recognizes and he responds. What did Jesus do when this woman touched his cloak? At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched 
my clothes. See, there's peep, you see the people crowding against you as disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched you? I mean, come on, Jesus. There's no way we would even know. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Please, please, please don't ever come to church on a Sunday morning without the hope that God is going to do something. No matter what's happening, no matter what happened the night before. Now there's another piece of this pursuit that's important to see. See, pursuit must persist despite what you perceive or even see. So let's not forget Jairus. He was coming to get Jesus to go home because his daughter was dying. Let's go back to his story. While Jesus was still speaking, this woman had been healed, and obviously if somebody were healed of something, everything stopped, and they were like, whoa, oh my goodness. And so there's this delay. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. You just believe. No matter what you see, no matter what you perceive, you just believe that even if you think your marriage is dead, even if you think spiritually you are dead, you're not. Because with Christ, all things are possible. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. There's another little message in here. It's, it's amazing how people gather and, um, and they capitalize on your own grief or your own chaos. But that's a message for another Sunday. Verse 39 says, He went in and he said to them, Why all the commotion and the wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So here's where you put a, I love this. Jesus, I love this scripture. I love this one. Jesus, they laughed at Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He put them all out. And he took, he took the, ch- the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them. And they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha Kalom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And they told him to give her something to eat. Why, why would Jesus hold this down? I think there's lots of theological perspectives, but for the context of today, you know I think Jesus said, hey, keep this quiet. I really believe Jesus wanted to kind of take us back to that first story. People have to realize they need to get well. They got to come to their own conclusion that they need to get well. Not manipulated by seeing someone else as much. Although that can help. How many times, let me ask you this, how many times is our spiritual journey stopped or knocked off track when we think or when we feel or perceive or we see difficulty or struggles? 
How many times has your spiritual journey just knocked completely off track by a circumstance? See, we need to learn to trust the process. We need to trust it enough to pursue. We need to trust it enough to persist and trust it despite what we see or feel. We need to be, we need to be doing what is necessary to get well, to get spiritually well. So what are we doing? What are you doing to help yourself be spiritually well on a daily basis? What are you doing to, to, to help your, 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 your faith journey be something that contributes positively to your life rather than your spiritual journey just not providing much at all? Let me give you a few things, just some quick things that you can do right now to kickstart the healing process. If you're struggling in your faith, if, if your faith journey has is stagnant a little bit or you just feel like with everything going on in life you've neglected to spend the time that you need to 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 be spiritually healthy let me give you a few things that you can do right now to kickstart this let me ask you this are you reading your bible daily do you read your bible daily do you have a daily bible reading plan check this out in january when we begin a new year we're going to do a bible reading plan together we'll have a bible reading plan and we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll use it in our Sunday school classes to help us and direct us. Uh, it'll be part uh, and parcel of what we're doing as a church. If you don't have a Bible reading plan and you need to get in your word, uh, there's some really cool, easy ways. Uh, how many of you have the YouVersion app on your phone? YouVersion app. If you don't have the YouVersion app on your phone, if you have an Apple or a Samsung phone, a smartphone, there's a free app called YouVersion. LifeChurch.tv out of Oklahoma City uh, built it, provides it for free. If you download that on your phone and click reading plans, you will find a Bible reading plan for every person, every angle, every direction. Also, if you're interested in something right away and you don't want to go that route and you want something that's focused, I have a couple of Bible reading plans that I could share with you. Just come and ask me. I have a plan that in, in every 30 days will lead you through uh, the entire New Testament and Psalms, uh, on the odd number of months and Proverbs on the even, even number of months. So if you want to take advantage of that, just come see me. I'll print it off and give it to you. Are you reading your Bible daily? How about this one? Are you praying daily? And I don't mean just, hey, Father God, thank you for our food, you know, kind of thing. Or, or when something difficult happens and you're, you know, Lord Jesus, thank you that that semi didn't take me out. Or, or, Father God, please, 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 it's raining. Get me a parking space as close to the store as possible. And we're praising the Lord because there was one. I mean, are you praying daily? Are you spending time talking to the Lord about what's going on in your life? You all laugh, but you must have praised the Lord for a parking spot before. Do you pray for those who are in authority over you, including the government? You pray for your church leaders. You pray for me. You pray for your church board. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Are you praying for your nation? Are you praying for your state government? Are you praying for even those leaders that might not make decisions that you like? Maybe, just maybe, if enough people prayed that the Spirit of God would move 
and we would see some change. Are you praying by name for other believers? Do you pray by name for other people in your church family? You probably are. I mean, that's pretty easy, right? Let me ask you this. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for those that have hurt you or wounded you? Matthew 5, 44 says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh man, it's so hard to pray for people that have hurt us or wounded us. Let me ask you this one. Have you shared the gospel with someone this year? If you want to kickstart your faith, sit down across the table with them and share with them how you came to Christ. You want to kickstart your faith, you share your testimony. That will get the ball rolling in your life. Is the gospel so striking to you that you can't keep it to yourself? That no matter where you go, you're always looking for an opportunity to share with someone what God is doing in your life. Let me ask you this. Have you reached beyond the church to develop gospel-centered relationships with not the Christians that live down the street, but the unbelievers that live down the street? Have you reached out and made a relationship with somebody who doesn't believe. That's one of the things that I love about officiating. And that's why wherever I've uh, lived and pastored, I've always officiated locally. Because you get to meet guys from all kinds of lives. And their lives are just all over the place. And uh, last, last week I worked with a guy who's the director of children's services, a retired fireman, um, a IT guy, and a real estate guy. And not one of them were believers. And you know, they know I'm a pastor. And so you get in the locker room and you're getting ready for the game and one of them will curse. And they're like, oh, oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. You know what, you know what that gives me the opportunity to do? Hey, don't worry about that. You don't need to worry. You, you just be you in front of me. And here's the thing. Eventually, my hope, my goal is, is that they see me interact with them on a base. Uh, here, here's, here's what inspired me to come to Christ. I met a pastor who I connected with because he seemed like he was just like me. And if this guy believed, then maybe I should take a look at it. And here's what I want. I want those guys that I referee with to go, wait a minute. If this guy's a believer in God enough to be a pastor and he's, and he's just like us on the football field or on the basketball court, maybe there's something there that I need to discover. Maybe he knows something I don't know. And so have you looked at people in your lives that are unchurched or not Christians that you can just share your gospel-centered life around them? Are you praying for non-believers that you know by name? Could you ask God to increase your burden for lost people? Are you faithfully fighting sin in your life? Be honest. Have you ever experienced victory? Have you, have you experienced victory over sin this year? Or are you still struggling? Is there a sin that continually haunts you and even though you've sought it, sought to overcome it, it still has a hold on you? You want to kickstart your faith journey? You share with a believer that you trust and that you have confidence in that you're still struggling with a sin and you want them to come alongside you and help them overcome that? That will kickstart your faith. We need to confess that that sin to someone and seek accountability and simply repent. Have you memorized any scripture this year? I'm horrible at this. 
Even as a pastor, I'll be, I'm testifying. I'm bad at memorizing Scripture. But have you memorized Scripture? Do you have some key verses you can go to in difficult times? I do have that. Are you serving faithfully in, a, in the church? Have you found your place to help? So many of you, I'm blown away at how many of you guys are engaged in the daily ministry of our church. But there's opportunity for anyone and all of you to be involved in other ways. See, the church is, is more than just a place to attend. It's a family that loves you, and that love should provoke you into action, into serving. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do you realize God has gifted you with something that the church can use? Let me ask you this one. Are you supporting the church and God's work financially? If you are, thank you. That God, God blesses those who contribute financially to the church. If you're not, prayerfully consider contributing financially to the place that you call home. Are you investing yourself in God's church? Are you pouring yourself in, doing something? If you are, thank you. If not, please start. Galatians 5 says this. I'm reading out of the message for this scripture. It says this. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a sinking a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket goods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and, uh, and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But verse 22 says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So are you exhibiting the work of the flesh or the work of the Spirit? Are we allowing the Word of God to guide our process of self-evaluation? So the question for us this morning is, where are you? And before you answer where you think you are, how about this? How would your family assess you as a family member and a believer this year? How would your spouse, how would your kids, your brother, your sister, your parent, assess your place in God's story? How would those who live with you see your faith progress? Those who live with us are the most equipped to evaluate our spiritual walk. If I were to ask your family about your walk with God, what would they say? Would they say your life, all of it, including behind the scenes, models Christ? Christ? 
If not, decide today to do something about it. Here's the thing. It is a necessity to want to. And it is a necessity to pursue and persist in learning the process so that we may learn to trust the process. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to dig deeper into the process of how to grow and develop in our faith. But you got to want it. You got to be willing to self-examine. You got to recognize what the areas of your life where you need to get well and need to get healthy. And you need to want to get well and you need to want to stay well. And use the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to discover that spiritual health, is, it, it's more about submission than it is about a to-do list. It's more about being willing to, to set your will aside for the will and purposes of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, these examples in Scripture of how Jesus interacted in people's lives. And the, the, the beauty of these stories that we looked at to do today is that we had two individuals who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the, the one person that could provide healing to them was Jesus. And they pursued you. They went after you. They went after you, and, and they were determined to, to find you, and they were determined to allow you to work in their lives. And then we see this one individual who needed healing, needed help, but he just didn't seem to know where to look or simply didn't want to look in the most obvious place. As we're here together today as a body of Christ, and as, as believers in Christ, we know that Jesus, you're the one who provides that healing. You're the one that provides that wholeness, that direction, that, 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 that peace and that serenity in our relationship with you. And, and you're the one who makes us well. Would you help us, Lord, if we've, if we've lost sight of that, if we've, if we've neglected our spiritual health, to center ourselves today and say, Lord, I want to get well. I want to be healthy. I want to stay healthy. And help us to trust that, God, you have a, a, a process and a way for us to do that and it starts and it begins with self-examination, recognizing truly where we're at and being willing to do something about it. Whether it means just to keep going and to keep pressing in or it means to start anew and start fresh or, and be more determined than ever before to be closer, uh, closer and more intimate you, with you and more uh, intentional with you on how we pursue you. And Lord, we, uh, we're going to give you praise in advance because when we seek after you, when we pursue you, you are always there. You're always willing and able to heal. All we got to do is get to you. Just, just, just touch you. And each and every week, each and every day, you give us the opportunity to do that. May God, we capitalize on it. May we take that. May we receive it. May we live in your grace and your freedom and your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.